Hello, this is Contractor Coffee Club Podcast, presented by EGIA, and I'm your host, Mark Madison. This podcast is hosted on EGIA.org slash podcast, where you can also find links to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, along with an archive of all previous episodes, a submission form for our listener Q&A, and the link to take the latest EGI snapshot survey. I first learned of Pat McCarthy in an article in the Seattle Times business section one Sunday morning some 20 years ago. It profiled his extraordinary sales success. I immediately bought his book and devoured it in three sittings. After reading it, I was inspired to call him. I called the downtown Nordstrom store and I made an appointment with Pat. We went to breakfast. Over eggs, I asked him why he was so successful in sales. He smiled, put his fork down and replied, I think it's because I'm other-centered. It's a Nordstrom term, meaning the opposite of self-centered. He went on to explain how he was almost fired until his boss, a star salesman himself by the name of Ray Black, taught him what he needed to learn to be successful in retail sales. Here are some of the causes of Pat's success. We all could stand to borrow a few ideas from Pat. Number one, his Rolodex was his Bible. Now, Rolodex is an old term from the 70s and 80s, but essentially it's your contact list. Pat had over 6,000 names. He said most people don't stay long enough to build a customer base. Sales is a long-term relationship game. Number two, he, make four, he makes 40 calls a day from his Bible, from his Rolodex. It's time to update your wardrobe, he says to his repeat clients. Number three, he routinely sells $1.5 million a year in sales. That's an average year. His best year is around two. A bad year would be 1.2. He cares is number four. He remembers people's names. He remembers their size, their marital status, their position, their works, even their children's names. And again, it all goes in his Bible, in his little book. Number five, he considers everything that he does his business. He has a positive mental attitude. He has ownership of what he does. Number six, he makes deliveries. He writes thank you notes. It's part of what he calls his franchise. Then he gave me an acronym, FILO, F-I-L-O, first in, last out. He's a hardworking guy. He shows up early and he stays late. Number eight, he was a failure, a complete failure, he told me. He said, Mark, they wanted to fire me. But Ray Black talked him out of it. He said, let me work with the guy. Pat's a willing student. And he studied, and to his credit, he changed. He evolved. He became the top dog. Number nine, Ray Black taught him the value of remembering his clients' names. He has over 6,000 names memorized in his mental Rolodex. Number 10, he learned to multitask and he developed his people skills. It's an art form, he said, it's a show. He's deft, he's tactful, he's skilled. And number 11, Pat is an empathetic listener. 12, he sees himself as a counselor, a coach, a friend. He calls it giving back to the bucket of life. To quote Pat, he literally says, pour in, God pours out. 13, when they're happy, he says, this was fun for me. Shall we do this again? I thought, wow, that's so simple. 14, he's proactive and assertive. He tells his clients, it's time to update. He calls them. He doesn't wait for them to call him. Number 15, he's humble and kind. He's very soft-spoken, laid back even. And 16, you can find the rest of his story in the amazing book, The Nordstrom Way. The book's been out a few years now, but it's still worth a, a read.
It's one of the best investments in time and money I ever made. It's one of the most inspirational sales books. If you're in sales, and who isn't, it'll change the way you look at sales and service to others. Pat McCarthy, The Nordstrom Way. I was reading Frank Betcher's book, How I Raised Myself from a Failure to Success in Selling for the umpteenth time, and I realized there was one word that Frank used that explained his success. The word is find. Stephen Covey said, most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply. You see, most new salespeople don't really listen to their prospects. They're just waiting to talk, to talk about their product or service, their agenda, their company, what they want. The key to high close ratios and record sales, listen to find. I'm going to repeat that. Listen to find. Listen to understand their point of view, their challenges, their concerns, their objectives. Once you know what the prospect really wants, learn why they want it and what it'll mean to them to achieve it, whatever it is. Only then are they in a position to offer solutions for your prospects to reach their goals. Again, quoting Frank Betcher, find out what people want and help them get it. Short and sweet. In the New Testament, Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. Hey, we're not talking about old or new information. This is old. In my second year of selling, I met a guy named Ron. He was an affable sort of guy, outgoing, social, fun. And I asked him one simple question. How did you get started in this business? Ron talked for three hours. And when he finally stopped, it was like he'd just been woken up from a coma. He was like, so why are you here? Uh, I, I smiled. I said, well, you know, based on all the things you just told me, I'm certain we can lower your operating costs and provide you with the service you deserve and moreover, extend your equipment's useful life. He beamed. He said, that's exactly what I want. When can we start? It was the largest sale I'd ever made up to that point in my career. It literally made my year. And here's what I did. And if I can do it, you can too. Number one, I asked open-ended questions. To open up a conversation, ask who, what, where, when, how, and why. Rudyard Kipling wrote a poem to teach his 12-year-old son the power of asking open-ended questions. The poem goes like this. There are six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names were what and where and when and how and why and who. If you want to open up a conversation, ask open-ended questions. Number two, listen actively. Listen with intention. Listen with the objective to understand. Listen to empathize. Listen to clarify. But listen. The next part of the listening process is pausing three to five seconds. By the way, here's how long that is. That's a long time. For most people, it's a lifetime, especially in a conversation. But here's what I found. When I got to four silently in my head, they started talking again. It was a comma, not a period. It was a semicolon at the end of the paragraph. And I was cutting my prospects off from telling me what they wanted. I was getting in the way of my finding just because I couldn't be quiet for five seconds. The next step, question for clarification. I have two questions I love to ask, and these are dialogue-changing questions. Number one is, how do you mean? And the other is, can you give me an example? You see, when you ask those two questions, what you're really saying is, tell me a story. And then they do. And then listen some more. Next, paraphrase to understand. This is part of the process that pulls it all together. It's kind of the glue. If you have understanding, they'll respond in a favorable and enthusiastic way. So if I'm hearing you correctly, or in other words, 
Those are literally the phrases I use. And then I say what I heard them say in my own words. And here's where the magic happens. Right after I do that, they say exactly or precisely, or if you're in the South, you'll hear right with like four eyes. But it all, it all means the same thing. It means you've hit the nail on the head. It means they know you understand. And the relationship changes when that happens. When you hear the word exactly, something shifts and you're never the same. And then from there, you're in a position to offer some solutions, what I affectionately call a choice of yeses. It's a simple process, but it's not easy. In fact, it's really hard. And most people aren't very good at listening, especially if they're new. If you're a brand new salesperson, this is something to take to heart. It requires a kind of unlearning to masker, a, a kind of a dying of self, a dying of the ego, right? What if you don't get to talk? Would that be so bad? Would you rather be right or rich? Would you rather be right or happy? Active listening is a habit, perhaps the best habit you can adopt. If you're going to be one of the top producers in your company or in the industry, in a real sense, it's not just a great skill, it's a way of being. It's a kind of philosophy of life, like Pat McCarthy's. This is one of those things that completely changed my life and my bank account and my close ratio. And here's the best part. People will tell you things they don't tell their barber, their banker, or their best friend. If they feel like they can trust you and active listening is the fastest way to build trust, that's exactly what will happen. Sometimes I'm a little embarrassed at the things people tell me because I'm thinking, like, I feel a little bit like a pastor or a priest, you know, in a confessional. But it's amazing. And there's an acronym that I'm real fond of. It's called WAIT, W-A-I-T. Why am I talking? Because you know what? Especially in a sales situation, and especially if you're new, who said you had to talk? You'll have time at the end. The time you get to talk is like the postscript of a letter. It comes at the end, not at the beginning. Leo Bascalia said, too often we underestimate the power of touch, a smile, a kind word, or a listening ear, an honest compliment of the smallest act of caring, which is all we have to turn the potential of a life around. Larry King said, I remind myself every morning, nothing I say today will teach me anything. If I'm going to learn, I must do the listening. And Ernest Hemingway, the famous author, said, I like to listen. I've learned a great deal from listening carefully. Most people never really listen. At the risk of repeating myself, here it is. Find out what your prospects want and help them get it. Find. As Nike says, just do it. Your clients will tell you things they don't tell their barber, their banker, or their best friend. But hey, maybe you're happy with a 25% close ratio. <laughs> Before we go much further, Lucas, do we yes. have some announcements? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I wanted to mention that we have our latest snapshot survey summary report out. So for those who aren't familiar, every month, EGIA surveys its contractor network on a specific focus area to gain insight on how contractors are evolving their business practices to achieve maximum success in a specific category. Uh, at the conclusion of each month, we publish a summary of the survey results and make findings available exclusively to EGIA members. And these monthly survey reports are kind of a quick and easy way for contractors to see what's working, what isn't working, best practices, what your competitor, what your friendly competitor, what your other companies and peers are doing in the industry. And they're always arranged around a very particular topic. So this, this past month, we talked about after-hours service calls. And so we asked uh, contractors things like, does your company take after-hours service calls? Who fields those calls? How do you compensate employees for after-hours service calls? And what types of employees do you have on call? 
do you offer special discounts to service agreement customers? Um, that sort of stuff is all in that summary report. And so, Mark, I wanted to just talk about one really quick. And I know this is kind of a topic you're familiar with. You've obviously dealt like with this in your time. So we, we asked, does your company answer after-hours service calls? And we had 96% of companies say they do take after-hours service calls through a variety of rotating phone, an answering service, having somebody, uh, an actual night CSR shift uh, and the like. But what, what is your take on, on this category, Mark? Well, uh, that's a great question. I was, as most of you know, I was a technician for 10 years. And uh, the end of my second year of my apprenticeship, I realized that uh, the opportunities were limited for me to take on more challenging service calls. So I, I was talking to a journeyman one day and he said, well, just volunteer for to take guys duty. He said, a couple of things will happen if you do that. He said, number one, you'll get to do and work on things that you would never get dispatched to do because you're so young and new. And the second thing that'll happen is you'll accelerate your growth in terms of your technical knowledge. And he said, and the third thing, and most people don't talk about this, is the company will see that you're ambitious, right? And you're going to put yourself in a position of leadership. So he said, I encourage you to do that. So I did. I For like six months, I took weekend duty every weekend. Well, not every weekend. Some guys wanted it because they wanted the overtime. But it was in this guy, Larry, he was right. He, you know, it completely changed my life. And it, I remember having a conversation with the dispatcher one day and, and oh, I overheard her and the customer was complaining. And she said, well, the walk-in cooler at this particular store. And I said, yeah, I know what's going on there. There's a leak there and I, you know, I can take care of that. She said, what? You know about that? I said, yeah, I went on a call a couple of weeks ago about that. So I, I know exactly where the leak is and I know what needs to be done. And after that, my relationship with the dispatcher changed. She trusted me to do more things. And that was a, uh, I felt powerful after that, right? So the reason I bring that up is if you're a technician and you're listening to this, volunteer for duty, right? Show the ambition, uh, take your learning to your technical learning to the next level. And, uh, and if you're an owner, you know, spread the risk out. Most guys want to be home on the weekends and maybe didn't have that level of ambition that I had, or they just want to, you know, spend time with their family. So most companies are smart. They, they set up a rotation. And uh, there, there's another option, too. You can outsource it as well. So th there's a number of different options. And I would suggest to owners, you know, if every once in a while, spend some time going on calls with your guys. And I worked with a, a gentleman who built a $40 million company. And twice a year, he would ride around with his technicians. And sometimes he'd do it on the weekends. And it, that gave him an opportunity to uh, not only find out what was important to the technicians, but to have a thumb on the pulse of the quality of the service that was being provided. So. Yeah, that's my take on that. Interesting. Yeah. So I actually just really quick, we, we also we usually have quotes either from um, the Mark Madison's, the Gary Alex of the world, the consultants and, and experts on these subjects. We'll have quotes from them and we'll also have quotes from uh, some of the people who actually took the survey in these summary reports. And I, there, we had some really, really good insights from contractors in this one. And I just want to read this one uh, that kind of factors yeah, go ahead. about and what, you know, kind of how companies are handling it. And the HVAC and plumbing contractor in Florida said, quote, we found that the majority of our after-hours calls beyond 8 to 5, Monday through Friday, came between 5 and 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, and then 8 and 4 on weekends. So we rotate office staff to handle the calls with the help of an answering service. This allows a customer service rep to handle communications with customers, scheduling, and some dispatching instead of the on-call technician trying to handle it all by themselves. We found that we captured 25% more after-hours business than when we had the on-call technician handling it alone. Um, so it's also, it's not just, uh, I mean, on the one hand, obviously, it's a great magnet for customers, right? You can say, we'll take care of you all the time. And then on the other hand, it's, it could drive actual revenue. If I'm actually laughing to myself out loud. I can tell you exactly why 25% less if the technician's taking the call, because he's talking about it going. Mm -hmm. you know, he's saying, well, oh, yeah, yeah, 
Eh, I can wait till Monday. It's not an emergency. <laughs> yeah, your furnace is on fire. I don't. Uh, that's yeah. fine. I think. Yeah, yeah. The game's on. I'll be there in a couple days. I don't want to leave. The game's on right now. I, you know. No, I, I'm laughing because you know I know that's that's how it was. I'm sure that's how it still is. So. Yeah, and, and that's also one of the benefits we've that you know. Of, if you're able to handle it in house uh, with your own dispatcher, with your own, you know, rotating phone or whatever, you can actually have an, have a chance to filter out the unnecessary. Because some of the, you know, some of the after hours calls aren't necessary, right? Right. And yeah. well, that's what's great about the survey is your, you know, it's best practices, it's ideas, it's solutions. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. this one had some of the best, honestly, some of the best contractor quote insights that we've ever had in one. So just anyway, so that's available right now. After hours service calls available to all. EGIA members right now, and there's actually uh, an excerpt from it for free for non-members is available at egia.org slash blog. Just one more reason to belong to EGIA. There you go. And if they, you know, and if and then now might be a good time to talk about this. If they, if the people listening haven't, uh, aren't members now, seriously consider joining. Uh, if you are members or, and or you enjoy these podcasts, do us a favor if you would and rate us on iTunes and maybe even tell a couple, three friends. I mean, this podcast doesn't cost you anything. It's free. But somebody's paying for it, right? So if you like it and you want it to continue, help us help you. Kind of a Jerry Maguire. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's actually pretty easy to, uh, obviously, you can just search it on iTunes. But uh, if you go to egia.org slash podcast, there's a link right there to the, uh, to the iTunes page. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, some shameless self-promotion there. There you go. Uh, and let's see if we have time for one more little segment. I, I call this questions. Yeah. Uh, curiosity is the process of asking questions, genuine questions that are not leading to ask for something in return. Brian Grazer, the movie producer, said that. Have you ever heard of the Socratic method? Socrates was born circa 1470 BC in Athens, Georgia. He never wrote anything. His nickname was the Gadfly of Athens. We know of his life through the writings of his students, Plato and Xiophon. His Socratic method laid the groundwork for Western systems of logic and philosophy. When the political climate of Greece turned, Socrates was sentenced to death by hemlock poisoning, uh, in 399 BC, he accepted this judgment rather than fleeing in exile. What he left behind was a new way of thinking and being, asking open-ended questions to change the way we learn and think. Now, I didn't understand for the first 15 years of my marriage that my wife was asking me uh, open-ended questions. So how do you feel about going out tonight? Uh, that's a code that women use for we're going out tonight, right? But I didn't know that for 15 years, the first 15 years of our marriage. So, you know, women are way ahead of us on this thing, uh, Lucas, but uh, oh well, right? You so, figured it out actually, right? I, I do. Now, now when she asked that, I said, well, it sounds like you do. It's only took a couple decades, though, but yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. But we're still married. I'm taking her to Maui on Friday. So, yeah, so there's that. That's where we got married 38 years ago. So, figured, hey, it's a speaking gig and, you know, somebody's got to go. It may as well be me. Doing so, before work. we actively listen, I'm sorry, what was that? I said, you're really doing the Lord's work over there. Yeah, I am. Yeah. A sinner like me, right? (laughs) So before we can actually listen, we must learn to ask the right kind of questions. I fly almost every week, and one fine day I was on a flight from Detroit to Seattle. I was in first class, and an attractive, well-dressed woman in her late 40s sat down next to me. And I can tell from her body language and her facial expression, she really had no desire to talk. I smiled, I put my headphones on, and proceeded to read a book. But this was first class, so when the meal came, I took my headphones off, I smiled again, and asked, is Seattle your final destination? She answered in a friendly way, and so I continued, uh, what do you do for a living? Followed by, how did you get started in that industry? See, those are all open-ended questions. Who, what, where, when, how, and why, right? And she talked for the rest of the flight to Seattle. The next two hours, she did all the talking. And realizing she'd been doing all the talking, she stopped, literally interrupted herself, and said, well, what do you do? 
And without getting out of my seat, I reached up into the overhead compartment and handed her a copy of my first book, Freedom from Fear. And I gave her my business card and she gave me her card. Now she was the HR manager for a large software company, but six months later, she took a new job with a company called Trident Seafoods uh, in Seattle. It's a $2 billion seafood company. And sure enough, a few months later, I was hired to facilitate a, a manager's meeting. In fact, I'm having lunch with her today at, uh, in, in Ballard at Chinooks. I was going to say, this is coming full circle, Mark. We just talked about it. I know. It. Where do I know that great. name? Trident Seafood. There we go. It's crazy. Her name is Gail, and she's just a delight to work with. And so why did she call me? And I think the answer was I built a trust by listening, right? And to continue to do that. Today at lunch, I'll, I'll do the same thing I've been talking about today, and that's you know ask questions and just listen. There's seven reasons to develop the art of asking questions, and here they are. And this is the kind of the, the benefits of doing this. Number one. It'll help you avoid arguments. Number two, it'll help you to avoid talking too much. Number three, it enables you to assist the other person in recognizing what he or she really wants. Then you can assist them in discovering a solution. Number four, and this is the, really the fun part for me, it crystallizes the other person's thinking. Uh, the idea becomes his or her idea. I do a lot of consulting and a lot of coaching, and, and honestly, sometimes all I do is listen and paraphrase. And more often than not, a contractor will say, you know, just because you listened for the last 45 minutes, I was able to kind of talk my way through what I need to do. You were kind of a sounding board. And I said, well, that was my hope. Number six, it'll give the other person a feeling of importance. When you show that person you respect their opinion, they're more likely to respect yours. And finally, number seven, it's really fun. Uh, and you'll learn so much more than if you were just talking. Diane Sawyer, the famous reporter, said, I love the early process of asking questions about a story and deciding which questions matter most. Nicholas Sparks, the best-selling author, said, by reading a lot of novels in a variety of genres and asking questions, it's possible to learn how things are done, the mechanics of writing, so to speak, and which genres and authors excel in various areas. Anne Rice, the best-selling crime novelist, said, I'm always looking for and I'm always asking questions. Socrates knew exactly what he was doing. By adopting his method of questioning, he became much more effective at, at influencing other people. And, and quite frankly, that's really all sales is, is influence. Your close ratio will improve. You'll win more friends. You'll influence more people in ways you can't imagine now. And what if you adopted this simple habit of active listening and asking the right questions? Aren't you worth it? Why not you? I think it's time to contact uh, Gail and let her know I'm on my way to Chinooks for lunch. I've got a few questions for her. And I've got some questions for you, Lucas. Yes. How did you get started in this industry? Relationships. I had a, a, a good friend who was in the industry, and he thought that I had the acumen to excel at the, at the company and, and asked me to, to talk about it. And here I am a few years later. Dude, the first time I met you and we talked for just a few minutes, I realized you had some real skills. And, and not, like the, not like Napoleon you know, yeah, yeah. the movie Napoleon, you know, like skateboard skills and yeah. Yeah, drawing ligers. No, that's not what I mean. No, it's uh, just you had a you had a connection with people okay. and that other centeredness was already hardwired in into you. And then and then when I found out that, you know, you're the podcast guy, I was like, oh, dude, I've got fun work with this guy. <laughs> there we go. So what you're saying, what I've been doing this whole podcast, and I think what you're saying is that the key to sales, but to everything is, is listening, right? Active listening. That's, that's my takeaway today is yeah. you want to sell more. You want to build relationships. You want to 
you know, get rich selling or even just set the, you know, set the framework for your career. Listen, 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 and actively listen. And then listen some more. Yeah. Yeah. Again, what if you didn't get to talk? You know, I play this little game I, I, when I meet people on airplanes. I wonder if I can get them to talk for 30 minutes without them knowing they've been doing all the talking. And I win every time. I did it with Kevin Costner. I met him. Let's see. Colin was 12. So he's that was almost 20 years ago. That's in the four seasons in Seattle with my family. And Costner walked by. And so I said, hey, Colin, there goes Kevin Costner. Let's go talk to him. And I knew he was a golfer, and, and, and so I, I approached him, and I said, look, uh, I know people bug you all the time. I said, that's not my intent here. I just, I just real curious. I said, how's your golf game? And, man, he lit up like a Christmas tree, and he talked for about five minutes about golf, and then, and then he realized, oh, and then I said, have you read the book Golf's Not a Game of Perfect by the uh, University of Virginia professor who's a consultant? And he said, no. And so I said, I, you know, it helped my father's game tremendously, and and then he literally said, he, he realized he'd been doing all the talking, and he turned to my son, Colin, and said, hey, kid, do you play ball? And Colin just blushed because, you know, it was Kevin Costner. And uh, he said, are you any good? And he said, hey, maybe one day we'll see you on TV. And Colin just beamed. So, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. Although it doesn't I matter what you do. That, that Kevin Costner probably likes to talk about himself, but that's neither here nor there. Oh, but you know what? He, so you probably have a perception of how he is, right? I do. And, yeah, I'm, and I'm also in a different, right? a different age bracket than you are as well. So I feel like yeah. that is impacted by it. But I do have a, I do have a perception that, that Kevin Costner probably uh, loves him some Kevin Costner. Well, he's a good guy. He's like a, he's like a regular dude. You know what I mean? He's sure. humble. He's thought, thoughtful. He's just a nice guy. He's as I imagined and hoped he would be, and sure enough, he was. When I think that the, the idea, even if even if I were correct about that, I think that the idea stands. What you're talking about, you're you're advocating for good communication and active listening, and in particular, I mean, if you can if you can get Kevin Costner to to come out of his shell when he's probably on the defensive all the time, doesn't want all to talk time. to anybody. I would imagine that's going to work when you sit down and try to have an educated conversation with somebody about their HVAC unit. Right. Well, and the, here's the thing. Speak in terms of other people's interests, right? So I knew Costner liked golf, so I brought up golf and because I knew it was something he was interested in. It doesn't take much effort to look around someone's house and see that they like doilies or fishing or, you know, water polo, I mean, whatever it is, right, through pictures and photographs. And, and at the very worst, the very least, they take a look at the family and say, looks like you've got some grandkids. And, uh, you know, I was, a, I was, before I was an air conditioning technician, I had a chimney cleaning business. And boy, I'll tell you what, I was so good at asking questions like, so how long have you lived here? You know, and what kind of neighborhood was this when you first moved in? And everybody's got a story, you know, and our job is to find out what that story is. And everybody yeah. loves to talk about themselves. So we just need to give them that opportunity. And I would say to add to the Kevin Costner story, I'd also say that in, in Cleveland last year, when we sat down in a room full of people having a, a, a VIP lunch with uh, Ray Lewis, Hall of Fame linebacker Ray Lewis, I would say that you were able to have to forge more of a genuine communication connection with him than anybody else in the room who came up and fawned over his accolades and said, you're Ray Lewis, and then went and sat down. I actually noted in that at that lunch that, like, wow, Mark, it really has a way of communicating with like, another guy who is fairly on the defensive all the time. <laughs> Right. No right. And it's again, I think with the questions I asked were about his family and about his kids and uh, they were exactly, you know, yeah. And, his background yeah. and, going up and not his not. How does it feel to sack this quarterback? You know, when it's like, all right, well, he gets that every day. Well, and that's exactly right. It's, it's it, you know, he, it's be having enough enough respect and doing enough homework to understand what's important to somebody else. 
and uh, and I knew, you know, I knew some things about his background. I'd done some research. So, but the guy's an imposing figure. I mean, he has twenty-one inch arms, and that that sport coat he was wearing was like, help me! <laughs> it was it's like it's like bursting at the seams. You know, the guy's still jacked. You know, he's in great shape. Yes, but I feel like that's a good, that's a really good uh, takeaway. What you just said there, I guess, the having enough respect and doing the research to know, you know, what matters to other people, what they care about, what they want to talk about, and I think that. Is a great and just the same way you said you don't you don't have to research necessarily your you don't have to look up your your homeowner on Facebook right but the research can be looking around the house and seeing what's important to that person and like you said you know saying oh they have grandkids or this is the kind yeah. of neighborhood they live in paying attention and my German teacher in high school gave me a great gift one day Susan Hall she said everybody has a story Mark your job is to find out what that story is and uh, she was a master at relationships still is. Well, gosh, I I think we're out of time. But plus, I got to get to Chinooks and have lunch with Gail. So, you know, it's like Trident's gonna let's do it. Hire me again. So I've got to I've got to get out, get out now, get to the chopper, you know, run, Giancarlo, run. Okay, so let's see. Is there anything else we need to talk about before I uh, I close this thing down? I think we're all good, Mark. Another great show. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode. As always, visit egi.org/podcast. To find this episode and an archive of previous episodes, the online form to submit your questions for our mailbag segment, links to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and Google Play app, and a link to the latest EGI snapshot survey. For more information about EGI membership, visit www.egi.org join, and by all means, join. And I hope to see you all in Vegas. And be sure to come up uh, and tell me what you think of these podcasts. I'll be doing a number of things while I'm there, but... Mostly, hopefully, I'll get a chance to listen to your story as well. I'm Mark Madison. Thanks for letting me play in your sandbox. We'll see you next time. Yeah.